Live from the Centennial State, this is the Career Conversation Podcast, where you take control of your future and gain the confidence you need to reach your career goals. Hosted by Ryan Seeley, career counselor at the Cherry Creek Innovation Campus. Each week, I will bring you bite-sized conversation from real people working within real careers. Subscribe now so you don't miss any of the action. Welcome to the Career Conversation Podcast. Today, I am lucky to be joined by my new friend and cybersecurity expert, Warren Officer Joseph Bowen. Joseph Bowen was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and grew up in rural western Nebraska. In 1985, Joe enlisted in the United States Army. He served on active duty for four years as an interrogator and Korean linguistics assigned to the Combined Military Interrogation Center, where he conducted strategic debriefings in support of national intelligence requirements. Upon transferring to the United States Reserves in a short assignment with the 307th Military Intelligence Company in Nevada, California, he reclassified and became a seven-year assignment with the 440th Military Intelligence Detachment. During this time, Mr. Bowen earned a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from the University of Phoenix. He then went on to earn his master's in telecommunications from the University of Denver. As an intelligence analyst with the 440th Military Intelligence Detachment, Mr. Bowen completed strategic intelligence projects in support of the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA. After getting out of the military in June of 2001, Mr. Bowen continued his civilian career in telecommunication equipment engineering and sales. In November of 2004, Joseph re-enlisted in the United States Army and was assigned to the Space Company Space and Military Defense Command at Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs. In July of 2005, he volunteered for an assignment as a senior intelligence analyst for an Army space support team in support of the multinational corps in Iraq at Camp Victory. He then transferred positions as an all-source intelligent technician on the Security Iraq Force Team with the detachment at Camp Slayer, Iraq. He then returned to the same unit and served on the Afghan Infrastructure Team as a drilling reservist. In 2012, Mr. Bowen transferred to Starcom Military Defense at Shriver Air Force Base in Colorado Springs. And in August of 2015, he joined the 383rd Military Intelligence as a Homeland Defense Intelligence Analyst. Warren Officer Joseph Bowen brings a mountain of experience within military intelligence as well as cybersecurity. Mr. Bowen currently serves as the CCIC Cybersecurity Instructor, where he is actively investing in our youth and preparing them for a career within cybersecurity. We are beyond lucky to have Officer Bowen join us on the Career Conversation Podcast. Mr. Bowen, Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Joe, you've had an extremely colorful career, and I want to go into some depth on that. However, before we go into your career, can you tell uh, the students of the CCIC a little about kind of your, what was your high school experience like? Uh, similar to a lot of students here at CCIC, I, uh, I worked really hard in college. I got pretty darn good grades. I was very active in sports and other extracurricular activities. By the time I was a senior, though, I was really getting close to burnout. Um, I had taken a lot of difficult classes. 
I was taking college classes. I was responsible for a whole lot of things. And um, going to college wasn't an option for me for a couple of reasons. One, because I didn't have, well, didn't have any money. Uh, and two, because I really didn't have the, the motivation or uh, drive to uh, go for, the, for all those scholarships and stuff that would have made it, that would have been necessary for me to go to college. Um, so joining the Army actually seemed to be the easier way out for me. Um, at, the time, at the time also, uh, I felt very strongly about uh, uh, our national defense. Ronald Reagan was president back in the day, and uh, I was, uh, you know, it's the, the, my politics is, is quite different from it was then. Uh, but uh, I felt very strongly in, that, that uh, I could do something to serve my country. It's a big decision to enlist in the United States military. Um, I talk with students all the day, time about it. Um, I think it can lead to a great career path. You just got to make sure that you understand what you're signing up for, and it sounds like you did. Um, <clears throat> when you went into the military, you really kind of dove into intelligence. Um, at what point did you really kind of make that shift towards intelligence and really kind of moving towards that cybersecurity piece? Can you give the students kind of some idea what that transition and how that took place? Uh, sure. Uh, starting out, uh with the recruiters, uh, I took the ASVAB, of course, like everybody who joins the military uh, does, uh, and, they, and they gave me the options uh, that I could have as, uh, as careers. Um, the Air Force recruiter talked to me about uh, uh, linguist positions, uh, and they had positions where uh, the, the job was to uh, listen in on enemy communications and, and translate and interpret those communications. Um, I was excited by that, by the opportunity to learn a different language. Gr growing up in a small town in Nebraska, I wanted to get out and see the world and, and learn more about the world. Uh, and so that really uh, turned me on. So uh, then I talked to the Army recruiters, and they said, well, not only can we get you one of those jobs, we can give you a $4,000 bonus, which in today's dollars would be, I don't know, probably 20000 or something like that. Right? So it was a, it was a, uh, that was, that was uh, the reason I joined the Army instead of the Air Force. Um, and uh, went to basic training. Uh, before I even joined then, it was already determined what, I'd already signed a contract, what job I was gonna have, but, and, and that I was going to get a language, learn a language, but not what language. Um, they gave me a, 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 what they call a, what they call a wish list, and so I chose the languages that I would like to learn, and of course didn't uh, discover until after basic training that I was going to be learning Korean, which wasn't even on my uh, list I had really had no exposure to uh, the country or the language back in those days. There was no K-pop or any of uh, <laughs> that stuff, uh, and so uh, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. But once I did, uh, it was I was fascinated. Um, a lot of people, uh, English speakers, will learn other languages like Spanish or French, um, and they're, they're fairly easy to learn from English. But Korean like Chinese and some other languages, is very, very different from English in just about every way. Uh, and so it's almost like learning Martian, which, which made it, made it uh, a, a real challenge and made it easier, I think, because I've got, I had no previous associations to the language, um, so I could sort of build my proficiency from scratch. From learning the language and, and at language school in Monterey, California, one of the most beautiful places to be in the military, um, I met a lot of people that worked for other services as well as uh, government agencies that send their um, 
people there to learn the languages. And so I, I was exposed fairly early on to the intelligence community, although I didn't work in the intelligence community. My work there was just to learn. Um, from there, I was assigned to uh, South Korea um, and got really, really lucky. As a 19-year-old as a uh, young man, I was assigned to the Combined Military Inter Interrogation Center. Uh, and that job was to um, uh, question people that uh, were in South Korea that had either defected uh, from North Korea or had been captured by the South Koreans. Um, it, it, there, were, there were a few uh, people, soldiers, um, that had infiltrated the South and were captured by uh, the South Korean military. Um, and we questioned them for uh, information on you know, what was going on in North Korea. We still have all, not very much information on what's going on in North Korea. Uh, and, we, and we didn't then either. Um, and so uh, uh, it wasn't really an interrogation situation, although I've, I've been trained in interrogation techniques. Uh, it was more a matter of you know, getting the questions together that we knew the government wanted answers to, uh, asking those questions, um, getting the responses back, and then putting that into report form and sending it back to uh, the Pentagon. Wow. So you're 18 years old, head off to boot camp, and you get trained in Korean. You become proficient. Are you still proficient? I still Korean? am, yeah. Can you say some to the Cherry Creek students in Korean? Wow, what did you just say? I said uh, hello to all the Korean-speaking uh, students at CCIC. Uh, I've always been interested in Korean culture and uh, Korean language, and uh, I'm uh, quite proud of my ability to interact with your culture. That is so cool. Wow, I, I learned something new about you. Very cool. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you served as an interrogator in the Korean ling linguistics, conducting strategic debriefings and support of national intelligence requirements. Can you break that down in simple terms for our students? What exactly is national security requirements? Um, what were you doing during that time? And what information were you trying to extract from individuals during those interrogations, if you're able to share that? Sure, uh, a lot of what uh, I shared back in those days was uh, secret, but not top secret. And typically the, the requirement to keep something that's secret is 25 years uh, and things that are top secret is 50 years uh, and then but there are other are, uh, military or intelligence programs that require they remain secret for life uh, most of what I did back in those days was secret and so um, a lot that it, when you initially deal with a source your uh, you know the first questioning is around how they got out what circumstances led to them getting out, how they got out, what were the mechanics of them leaving the country, um, and then uh, then establishing what they know, what schools they've been to, who, the, the people that they surrounded themselves with, the environment they lived in, and based on what they know and what their life experiences were, um, we can then sort of uh, tailor a question, a set of questions to uh, to get from them uh, information that we might find interesting. For example, uh, roads, bridges, railroads, uh, you know, crossing points, maritime, and anything that could 
uh, have to do with how the military of North Korea um, operates and moves people and equipment from one place to another in the case that we were going to end up in a conflict with them. Uh, you know, where uh, weapons and equipment are stored, you know, the uh, tactics and techniques that military uh, units use, um, the types of training that they get, um, the, uh, the quality of leadership at different, in different organizations. Um, basically, it, it, it all comes down to what's called the order of battle. Um, so the things that, uh, if, if, for example, Ukraine and, and Russia are at war, what would, what would they want to know about each other uh, in that conflict? We want to know the same thing about our potential adversaries, and, and North Korea certainly still is one. I'm not sure, I hope all students have an understanding of kind of the North Korean government and um, really, I think, personally, the dangers of that government. Do you mind giving a quick summary of really how vastly different North Korea's government is from really ever any government we find on the planet? If you uh, live in North Korea even today, uh, you're required to have a picture of uh, the uh, two, uh, the, the father, the, the current. Uh, dictator, the dictator's father and the dictator's grandfather on your wall. Those pictures need to be dusted and maintained daily. There is a speaker in your, uh, in, in your apartment or wherever you live where the government can and does routinely make announcements about uh, living the correct communist life. Um, and basically, your, your life is not your own. You belong to uh, the party, even uh, no, matter, no matter what uh, sort of uh, life you decide to pursue. The food situation there is, is and always has been dire. Um, most people don't get meat on a regular basis, um, and when they do, it's usually only on the birthday of their leaderships. Um, so it's very Machiavellian. Um, one of the uh, families that I ended up talking to, but before that, uh, it's just an idea of, of what the nutrition situation in North Korea is. North Koreans and South Koreans are, are genetically the same. North Koreans are an average two inches shorter than South Koreans. Um, Malnutrition. Yeah. Uh, just, just no, less, much less nutrition. Um, a lot of families in North Korea raise uh, small animals in their homes um, to uh, basically sell the meat and the fur to China so that uh, the government of North Korea can have can raise foreign currency. So it's not for the families, it's not for the benefit of the families, it's for the benefit of the government. And what the government's mainly engaged in is, uh, you know, building enormous weapon systems and monuments to their great leaders. Um, it's uh, one of the worst, uh, most horrifying uh, human rights situations on the planet, and it has been for decades. Um, and uh, with, if, if it were not for China, uh, that regime would be gone, but China protects it. Um, and our leverage over China seems to be slipping, I don't know. Yeah. So you, I'm, I'm curious on this question, if you can speak to anything you learned about the human condition while you were doing your interrogations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's what's fascinating in, in learning a language, you you learn more about their culture and you learn to think a little bit differently. Um, but the other thing that you learn is that humanity has so much in common. No matter how different the language may be or how different the people may look, 
the core essence of humans is the same. The drive for uh, survival, number one. In North Korea, very few people have the privilege of existing beyond just getting by from day to day. Uh, but those that can uh, strive and yearn for the same things uh, across the world. Um, a better living for their children, uh, more comfort in life, um, you know, uh, someday where you, know, you don't have to struggle and suffer as much. You, know? <clears throat> you went on to lead strategic intelligence projects in support of the DIA. For those unfamiliar, the DIA is the Defense Intelligence Agency. What was it like to work for the DIA? And how is the DIA different from the CIA? All right, great question. Um, the Defense Intelligence Agency is uh, the sort of overarching intelligence agency for the Pentagon, for the Department of Defense. Um, their mission is to provide intelligence to uh, the commanders of all the forces um, with regard to our, our enemies or potential enemies. Uh, and so they have many of the same structures, the clandestine service, the open source service, the um, uh, lots of other assets that are gathering uh, different types of in intelligence to inform um, leadership that's, that's facing our opponents. Um, the, the CIA, uh, th their mission is not to inform the military formations, it's to inform the political leadership. Um, so their job is to basically use the same techniques, procedures, and similar assets uh, to gather information, um, but not to inform commanders, but to inform um, Congress and uh, the executive branch. Is there any projects that you work on within the DIA or supporting the DIA that you can speak to? Uh, I did, uh, years ago, uh, a study of... Uh, Far East Russian uh, languages. Um, Far East Russia has uh, a rich diversity of ethnicities and language that we don't really appreciate here in the United States. Um, you know, there, were, there were native people living in different parts of uh, Far East Russia and still living there, um, similar to, to the United States having Native Americans uh, that, that lived in different parts of, of our country before. It, will set, it was settled by Europeans. Uh, and so learning about those cultures and language, languages was uh, really interesting and informed our government on um, where uh, there might be potential for vulnerabilities within, the, at that time, the Soviet Union. <clears throat> because minorities everywhere are not treated well. And so uh, if we know more about the folks that are not treated well, um, there's you know, possibilities for um, uh, exploiting them. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so you, you, you get out of high school, you go into the military, you, you learn the Korean language, you kind of are working within interrogation. It seems like cybersecurity was a natural transition, but I don't want to assume anything. Um, obviously you are our uh, cyber teacher here. We're thankful to have you. I think you bring up enormous amount of uh, global perspective, knowledge. I hope the kids who are listening here at the CCIC and across the Cherry Creek School District value this. We're incredibly lucky to have you, but 
Can you talk about maybe how that transition took place from working in interrogation to cyber and um, do you have advice for students who are interested in you know, going into cyber? Um, Sure. Uh, my, my first big interest in computers, um, I was uh, working on a case. Uh, there was a lady named Kim Hyun Hee from North Korea who, uh, along with, uh, she was a 22-year-old, 23-year-old woman who, along with a 70-some-year-old man, planted a bomb on a Korean airliner uh, that blew up over Burma uh, back in 1988 and killed 120-some uh, people. Uh, she uh, ended up in our interrogation center after the Japanese, after it took the Japanese uh, uh, two weeks to figure out that she wasn't actually Japanese. She had been trained in Japanese so well. Anyway, we're working on her case, very fascinating case. If you're listening to this and you're curious about it, ask me about it. It's a, it's a really interesting story. Um, but uh, we were uh, working on this case and doing a lot of typing, a lot of writing. Uh, on typewriters and they brought in these computers. The thing with the typewriters is you would type up a report uh, and turn it into the boss. The boss would uh, mark it up for editing and you'd have to retype the thing. Uh, you'd retype it, give it to the boss, they'd give it to their boss who would then make all kinds of corrections and changes and you have to retype the whole thing again and these sometimes were going to hundreds of pages of, of documents. We got our computers and we could make the changes inside the computer without having to retype everything, and it, it saved enormous amounts of time. And that 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 caused me to be an early fan of computers. Um, uh, the the second thing was during that that uh, intense uh, period when Kim Hyun was being in, in, interrogated there, um, we all had uh, ashtrays on our desks and smoked. Um, and coincidentally, uh, the computers died um, fairly regularly. And they brought in technicians from the Air Force that said it's because of the cigarette smoke. The cigarette smoke was infiltrating the hard drives and causing the drives to crash. Uh, and so watching the Air Force folks kind of troubleshoot and figure out what the problem is with these computers really piqued my interest as well. Um, and so I, th I think a lot of interest in computers happens when you're trying to do something um, and, and, and trying to figure out uh, a workaround on, on how to do stuff. Uh, and I know a lot of students at Cherry Creek uh, uh, have learned about computers uh, by attempting to get around the restrictions of the school district's uh, firewall. Um, and that's really sparked a lot of interest in, in, on how to do things and how to, how to, how to get into cyber. Um, when I got out of uh, the military initially, uh, I got a job at AT&T, answering the phone, and um, they offered to pay for my college, uh, but they would only pay for IT things. And that's, that's how I really got uh, the leg up in learning um, IT and uh, cyber, the beginning and started on cybersecurity. <clears throat> Where do you see the future of cybersecurity going? I mean, I, 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 my former career was in corporate finance. I, I love following the economy on a macro level, even a micro level, and the opportunity with cyber just being exploding. I think I read the other day about 300,000 job openings in cyber, I think a 25% growth rate over the projected next 10 years. Um, and these are big salary jobs. Um, where do you see it? Is that accurate? Do you see cyber, we're just starting kind of to really understand and appreciate the value of cybersecurity with everything going digital? 
be curious on your thoughts on what the future of cyber is. Yeah, I, th I think the, uh, in terms of the job outlook, it's, it's probably one of the brightest areas that we have uh, in the United States as, a, as an economy and, and, and globally. The need for cybersecurity technicians and uh, engineers uh, is going to do nothing but grow as, as we go forward. Um, with uh, the rise of newer technologies like uh, virtual reality and uh, artificial intelligence, as well as uh, emerging technologies like quantum computing, the, there, there is going to be, there always has been, and there will continue to be an escalating sort of war between people that want something for nothing, that want to uh, take what doesn't belong to them, and those that want to protect uh, systems from, from them. Um, that, that war has been ongoing for, since, the, since the beginning of computers and, and will only escalate over time. Um, it's 8.16 in the morning and there's already been more than a million attacks across the globe um, wow. on our American systems. Um, so the, the, the demand will not lessen. It's, it's, it's growing at an exponential rate. Um, if we are to continue to be able to use our computer systems, we're going to have to invest in more people to do this. Um, and so uh, as a cybersecurity expert, uh, you'll never have to worry about job security because um, those jobs are always going to be there, regardless of what the economy does. You mentioned the word quantum computing. Can you break that down for someone like me who only maybe understands the tip of that iceberg? Sure, sure. Uh, the computers that we use now use a system of uh, uh, communication called binary, right? Ones and zeros. Um, and so, uh, and that's, that's a product of the earliest computers where we used vacuum tubes to, uh, to uh, indicate whether uh, a, a, like a, a vacuum tube is on or off. That, that, and and if, if you take um, a number of systems that are on and off, uh, that can represent, so zeros and ones can represent uh, decimal numbers. Those decimal numbers can represent letters, and those letters can represent words and ideas. And that's, those are the building blocks of, of the computers that we use today. Um, we're starting with that basic building block of a one and a zero. What quantum computing does is it uses um, subparticle physics to manipulate the basic unit of uh, data that now is a one and zero, uh, but instead of using a one or a zero, it uses what's called a qubit. Uh, and the value of that qubit is nearly infinite. Um, and so um, it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but um, if a computer that you're using today has eight gigabytes of RAM, or, or it has a 3.2 gigahertz processor, a quantum computer will have orders of magnitude more than that at every level of processing. Um, and so, uh, our current, for example, one of the implications of that, our current cryptological systems, our current, the way we encrypt things um, and store them um, will become uh, obsolete the moment these systems come online because they'll be able to solve those encryptions and crack those encryptions almost instantly. Where now, that the, uh, the computers that we use would take decades or even eons to crack those codes. Wow. So. 
incredibly faster, incredibly more powerful acceleration. Yes. When you talk about, you had mentioned a million cybersecurity attacks already at this point in the morning. When I think about that, it's not just government agencies, no. it's private companies, it's nonprofits, it's education itself. I mean, it really does encompass every organization, government agency, and private and public business that exists. Am I accurate on think that thinking? Yes. Um, is anybody immune to it, or no? No one is. No one is immune to it. And and those that are uh, most vulnerable to attack are those that are least able to afford uh, cybersecurity individuals uh, or, or people working for them. Um, the banks, of course, are really well protected, and the and the and the federal government is really well protected. But local and state governments. As we've seen in the past, uh, as as well as school districts have been attacked with ransomware, uh, knowing uh, that you know the, the attackers knowing that um, they're likely to get paid by these folks because they haven't got the systems in place for uh, having reliable current backups, the systems in place to uh, prevent the types of attacks that lead to that ransomware. Which is in ransomware, of course, is one of the biggest threats in the in the world today in cybersecurity. And, and from your perspective, what would you say if we were to look at, you know, the United States as a whole, say 100 percent and all of that 100 percent includes government, public, private, nonprofit, everything. What percentage of that 100 would you say can you confidently say is protected with the proper cybersecurity security, which would tell us how much is vulnerable? I don't know if you can make that. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a it's a good question. It's a it's a tough question to answer. Uh, firstly, because no system is completely invulnerable, no system is perfectly secure. Um, a, a determined attacker will find a way into any system, um, and the weakest point uh, and, and the most vulnerable point in any in any organization's any any uh, network or computer system is the humans running it, right? Um, and so training them is, is, is one of the most important jobs of a cybersecurity professional. Uh, gosh, what was the question again? Was uh, really if we had 100%. Oh, right. Um, I'd say we're probably at, uh, if, 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 you know, notwithstanding the fact that nothing is completely secure, if we say as secure as is reasonable given, you know, cost constraints, et cetera, um, I would say that probably 50% of the country is um, adequately uh, secured um, across the board. Um, and that's, yeah, and that's simply because number one, there's all those jobs that haven't been filled. Uh, number two, there's a lack of information. Number three, the enemy is moving faster than the defense and always has. <clears throat> For, for students who are interested in cybersecurity, um, do you have advice for them that they can be doing now if they want to pursue this as a career pathway? I mean, obviously, I hope signing up for your class is one they hear. Um, are there other things that you would say, listen, if, if you see this as something you're interested in, you know, make sure you have interest in maybe these things, perhaps take these classes. How do they really position themselves to get in and help protect not only that 50% we have covered, because as you mentioned, that's vulnerable too, but the other 50%, which is not reasonably covered. I mean, it's a huge opportunity for kids. Um, thoughts on that, advice yeah. you can give kids. Yeah, great question. I think, I think uh, for, for, for those students, I would say, 
Um, stay up on the news. I would say uh, be curious about your computer. Um, you know, click on things. Don't be afraid, right? Um, uh, try things. You know, Google things. Search up how do I flip my screen upside down, right? Uh, just you know. Uh, some of the earliest ways that I started learning about uh, computer vulnerabilities was uh, trying to play tricks on other people, right? <laughs> uh, one story, this, you wouldn't be able to do this nowadays, but uh, I was uh, stationed in, at, in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii for a while at the uh, Pacific Command's uh, military intelligence headquarters. Um, and the commander and I had a pretty good relationship and I wanted to play a practical joke on him. And so we got these new... Uh, Unix computers in and I set it up so that every time he hit the enter key it made the toilet flushing sound um, That took me about three weeks of extra research outside of my work to figure out how to do and it was a joyful thing when I got it when it happened it was Absolutely one of the one of the proudest days of my life absolutely stupid absolutely ridiculous, but um, Being able to solve problems like that was really satisfying and so if you've got a, a sort of a mind that likes to, solve, to, to engage in that struggle to find answers and figure out how stuff works and, and figure out how to make something work, um, keep doing that, you know, feed your mind with that stuff um, and, and you'll be heading down the right road for cybersecurity. I almost hear you saying kind of tinker with it. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Yeah. It, and back in those days, we called it hacking. Um, and hacking didn't have all of those bad uh, connotations that, that they do, that it does now. Um, but yeah, hack your own stuff. Don't hack anybody else's stuff. That's, that's against the law. That'll get you in big trouble. But hack your own stuff. Figure out how this works, you know, how, how, how your, your game console works, how your, uh, how your speakers work, how, you know, headphones, etc. Your phone. Your phone is just a computer anyway, right? Hack that thing, figure out how it works. As kids look into this career pathway, I think obviously maybe one easy route is military, but that is not the only route to break into cybersecurity. Am I wrong in that assumption? You're absolutely correct. Um, the opportunities for learning cybersecurity are exploding. Um, most recently, uh, you and I went down to Colorado Springs and, uh, and took a look at the National Cybersecurity Center and University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Um, sort of cybersecurity, I guess, hub, I guess you'd call it, yeah. uh, down there in, the, uh, in an old satellite factory that's been, that's been redone in a really cool modern way. That is a great place to go and learn. Um, Metro State uh, has improved their facilities and their, and their program with cybersecurity tremendously, and that looks like a great opportunity. Uh, there are many uh, avenues to go um, and learn about uh, cybersecurity online without taking my class. Uh, there's a great uh, set of resources on YouTube called Professor Messer that can take you through everything that I do the same way. Um, there's uh, uh, a certification that anybody can try to earn called the Google Certified IT Professional um, that is uh, has a one week free trial, but you know it's like forty bucks a month, and you can study that, get certified, and, and that can get you an entry into the uh, this this career field. Um, and if there's other opportunities that you're interested in, please come see me, and we'll talk about. Sure. It. Yeah, I was pressed when we looked at UCCS. That was a, a great field trip we went on, and um, what they have done that I was I appreciated most, just because 
of conversations with you and how cyber really covers everything. They've embedded that curriculum into every single one of their majors. Into business, in, into... Education. Uh, you want to be a yeah, teacher, you're yeah. taking a cybersecurity class because we're vulnerable in education, as you mentioned. Yeah, hacking in education, mm -hmm. yes. Um, they're, yeah, their LAS program down there. Um, they have just really embedded it. And then also, if you want to highly specialize, that's as well. On the engineering side. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joe, I could sit here for a whole day and have a deeper conversation. We may need to do a podcast 2.0 on this because I think we're just scratching the surface. Um, but I know your time is limited. My time is limited. Um, I appreciate you so much for sharing some of this information, sharing the opportunities in cyber, and then just sharing your rich experience within the military. I have more questions and maybe we'll tap on those another day, but um, this is the Career Conversation podcast coming to you live, bringing real people from real careers. Joe, thank you for being here today. It's a great, great pleasure, happy to do it.